So, good morning. Good morning, first of all. Good to see so many people here. Every Sunday is more people, more people. It's wonderful. Um, so we started out, okay, with that, um, that opening verse from the song that we just heard. Started out because that verse, right? Happy and blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is put away. That little verse there shines a light on the gospel reading. Shines a light also on our, on our own lives. In our own lives of faith, because we can say, you know, happy are we, right? Happy are we, blessed are we, whose sins have been forgiven, who serve a God who lays aside our transgressions and does not sort of drag them forward at our first failing as a reminder of our weakness, but who puts that away. This is the blessing of true forgiveness that the younger son in our story receives. You all know this story. Am I right, the prodigal son? Everyone knows this story. It's probably on the top 10, maybe the top five of, of the gospel stories, right? It's, you can say it's the, it's, it's the prodigal son, known by that uh, description, known as perhaps the loving father, right? Also perhaps known in some quarters as the story of the resentful son. And um, perhaps also known as the, the woeful tale of the fatted calf. If uh, <laughs> you all remember the, the Far Side, right? Gary Larson, that great cartoon strip. Anyway, he had a great cartoon strip about this in which uh, it, it, it's the fatted calf and the fatted calf is sitting there at the table by himself, right? Um, just gorging, just gorging, you know, there's food everywhere, you know, chicken bones and whatnot. And uh, the panel has the fatted calf dining and then the words, son, you're back. And the fatted calf breaks out in a cold sweat. It's like, son? Nobody told me anything about a son coming back. Anyway, a very famous story with all kinds of family dynamics that are on display in this story. It's one um, that offers so many points of entry for all of us. And that is what makes it one of the true gems of the Bible. The story is almost like a finely cut diamond, if you will, with all of these facets that reflect light and sort of, as I say, give us entry points into the tale. Realization, the coming to oneself out of the depths, compassion and celebration, reconciliation. All of these and more are gathered up in this story, the story that if we took it back to the first century and were the, the audience that originally heard the story would be absolutely shocked by this tale. That world was driven by shame and honor, distinct codes that, that exist still today in some parts of the world. And so in, in this story, you have that world being turned upside down. You have the younger son who asked for his inheritance. Now this is a, a huge insult to the father. 
It's almost as if as he is saying he wishes the father were dead so he can get what he wants. The insult and the shame of that, of doing that, and then going away and then returning with nothing. Returning in rags and humiliation. The shame in that culture. And then unto the father who accepts the insult, accepts the humiliation, agrees to what the son has asked him to do, and then later on runs to embrace this, this wayward child who comes back in the way that he does. And then on top of that, at the end, the father goes out and pleads with the elder son. The elder son who has also shamed and humiliated the family because he is not taking his responsibility and his role to come into the party and celebrate with his brother and to assume his rightful place. And so there is nothing but just confusion going on in this story for the original folks who heard it. They're wondering what is going on. The scribes and the Pharisees who are already grumbling because Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them, they were probably pushed over the edge by this particular story. And of course, that is Jesus' intent. Is it not? To blow their minds, to turn over the tables, to upend and confound the expectations. That was his mission. That is why he came. If you remember, go back to the, the, the beginning there of, of, of Luke's gospel, right? This is chapter 15 of Luke's gospel. If you go back to chapter 2, when um, Joseph and Mary present their child there in the temple in Jerusalem, recall what old Simeon says about this child. This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Tax collectors and sinners came running to him. A bleeding woman strained to touch the cloak that he wore. A leper fell down before him, pleading, begging, Lord, if you choose, you can make me clean. And he did choose to make him clean because God wanted us to know that a new kingdom was coming. In fact, that the new kingdom was already amongst us, as Luke later says in his gospel, the kingdom of God is among you. As if to say, if you had but eyes to see and ears to hear, you would know that the kingdom is now. And yet, then, in the first century, as now, there are plenty of grumblers who cannot imagine a God who is so loving, who is so forgiving, who instead of offering recriminations to repentant sinners, this God throws a party. The fatted calf is brought forth along with the best wine. There is singing and dancing. And the question arises, how can this be? What kind of father? acts this way? What kind of family is so out of kilter with our norms that it tramples on all of the accepted conventions? Remember, brothers and sisters, this is a parable. 
It is told for a specific purpose, to illustrate a point. And yet, in its dynamics, in its characterizations, it is a story that speaks to real life, right? Speaks to real circumstances. Here's one. This comes from, this is a letter that comes down to us from the second century in Egypt. It's found in uh, excavation there. It is from a, a young man named Antonus Longus, a, a prodigal of that age, who was writing a letter to his mother. I would that thou shouldst understand that I had no hope that thou wouldst go up to the metropolis, and therefore I came not to the city, but I was ashamed to come to Coranus, because I walk about in rags. I write to thee that I am naked. I beseech thee, mother, be reconciled to me. Furthermore, I know what I have brought upon myself. I have been chastened even as is meet. I know that I have sinned. And I have heard from Postumus, who met thee in the country about Arsino, and out of season told thee all these things. The prodigal, in rags and in shame, afraid to meet his mother, and distressed that his mother knows of his situation. The prodigal son is a story of real life, and real circumstances. And it has that turning point for us with the younger son when he comes to himself, right? And then he came to himself, even though he'd already spent everything, even though he was hungry, and even though at this point he is feeding pigs, finally comes to himself. Thanks be to God. But we also know, of course, of many, many in our lives, many in the world, we read about them, hear about them, may know them in our own families, for whom this moment of, reckon, of realization this moment of coming to oneself never comes or comes too late. And who of us has not spent perhaps anxious hours, days, months, even years worrying about a lost child or a friend? If you've done that, then you know the loving Father's compassion and joy upon reuniting with this one who was deemed to be spiritually or maybe physically dead that you did not know where that person was and now they stand before you alive and your heart rejoices. I had once written a story about um, a guy named Israel Quezon up in Baltimore. He was a drug dealer and, and hustler. He'd been shot and in jail and all, all of that. And he had gone up to Philadelphia and gotten himself cleaned up. And he came back, and his girlfriend saw him on the street one day. He had returned, and she said it was like he had been resurrected. She said he was glowing, shining with life. And she, rejoicing in, in his, his redemption, his reconciliation, his resurrection, she went about, and then she cleaned herself up. So who cannot share in that experience? But then there's also the experience of resentment, 
and of anger and frustration that when our hearts, like that of the elder son, become hard as granite, and the last thing we want is for the Lord to give us a compassionate heart of flesh. We've all been there at some point, right? We don't have to have a big confession going on, but we've all been there. We've perhaps been a prodigal and known of that experience, been the loving father and known of that experience, been the resentful elder son and known of that experience. Better, better to mope and sulk, better to wrap ourselves in a cloak, a comforting cloak of self-righteousness. What is it that the elder son says? I've been working like a slave for you. I'm like a slave for you. And you never even gave me a young goat. You can imagine him stomping his foot and walking off, right? But it's this final encounter, I think, brothers and sisters, that really gives this story the edge that it needs, that really, really grounds it in one sense. Because without that final argument and that final encounter, we have a very nice story, very tidy story, Complete with a happy ending, right? Happy are they whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sin is put away. They get a party and celebration, fine clothes and new shoes. How lovely. The ending, though, tells us that there was always more work to do. Will the father and the son be reconciled to each other? Will the two brothers be reconciled? Those questions are left unanswered. Again, the parable's goal is to, to give us who may take on the role of the scribes and Pharisees a new understanding of a God who welcomes rather than rejects, who is characterized by love, compassion, and mercy. This God, our God, reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, not counting our trespasses and sins, but drawing us into a harmonious relationship. And as St. Paul wrote, giving us the ministry of reconciliation. And I would submit to you, brothers and sisters, that Lord knows we need reconciliation at this time. It doesn't matter if you read the Washington Post or the Washington Times. If you watch CNN or Fox. We know reconciliation is needed in the world. That, that reconciling presence needs to make itself known because if we look around and we can say the, the powers of darkness are at work. We can rejoice in safety, but there are places in the world that know the powers of darkness are at work and that the need of reconciliation, the need of a presence that says that there is a God that loves, that there is a God that brings people together in love and in harmony and in peace, that that needs to be known because that power that is working against us is destroying lives. It has made a ruin of Mariupol. A lady said 90% of that town is gone. 90%. And she said it happened just like that. 
One day you're walking around enjoying your life, you know, going shopping, going to Starbucks for heaven's sakes, and the next thing you know, bombs are falling, artillery is falling. The world needs reconciliation, needs our voice to be put forward, needs us to be and to claim that role of ambassadors of reconciliation. That's what Paul says there in that passage there in the second letter to the Corinthians. We are the ambassadors of reconciliation because God is making his appeal to the world through us. It is through us that the proclamation is made. And Paul goes on to say wonderfully in this one passage there in, in Romans where he says, well, well, how, in a sense, how is the world to know of the good news unless someone proclaims it? How are they to proclaim it unless they are sent? And as he goes on to say it, as Isaiah wrote so long ago, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of God's compassion, who carry it from the church and into the world. Indeed, indeed, brothers and sisters, let us celebrate, right? Let us celebrate and rejoice when the one who has lost has been found, when the one who is dead has risen to life and has come among us. Let us celebrate. Let us not be like the elder son who stands outside resentful and hard-hearted, but let us join in the celebration. But then, when the last drop of the good wine has been consumed and the plates have been put away and the table has been cleared. Let us then return to the work that we are called to do, to be those ambassadors of reconciliation, to be the ones who bring the healing touch to our hurting world. Indeed, happy, happy are they whose sins are forgiven and whose transgressions are put away, but also blessed are those who bring the news of reconciliation and of peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.